Hello, and welcome to the Rooted in Reliability podcast, your plant performance podcast, where we dive deeper into asset management techniques and know-how. I'm your host, James Kovacic, and I will be your guide to achieving industry best practice. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is here to provide you with the insights to improve plant performance and deliver bottom line results to your organization. In case you missed the last episode, you can find the Rooted in Reliability podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the reliability.fm network. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Now let's dive into today's topic. Do you have plans August 25th and 26th? Add Leading Reliability Conference to your calendar. Join Iridicio, RDI Technologies, Fluke Reliability, and UE Systems for a live and in-person conference in Clearwater, Florida. Hear from the top industry leaders on industry hot topics. Each company will also be hosting pre- and post-event workshops. Don't miss out on the event of the year. To learn more about the Leading Reliability Conference and to register for the event, visit www.leadingreliability.com or check them out on LinkedIn. It's my pleasure to welcome back Rick Clonin to the podcast. Welcome back, Rick. Hey, James. Thanks for having me again. Uh, it's good to hear from you. And for those that may not be familiar with you, you are Implementation and Training Manager at Iridicio. Prior mm-hmm. to that, you've been involved with an industry and in defense, all working in the engineering maintenance areas for an extended period of time. Not calling you old. Yes, you are. Um, <laughs> aside from that, you've been a past guest on the podcast talking about a bunch of different topics. Although super brief, what do you want to tell us about yourself? Well, uh, like you said, I am old. I've been doing this for, I, I, I looked this morning to double check and it's this is my 30th year in maintenance in some regard. I started a nuclear submarine uh, mechanic, uh, got into got out of the military and, and got into industrial maintenance as a technician for about 15 years. So I carried tools for quite a long time. I uh, went to a supervisor, planner, scheduler, maintenance manager, CMMS administrator. Currently, I'm the best practices chair for SMRP, um, where we talk about all things nerdy and metric and math and kind of where I got the basis of, uh, of this, this topic we're about to talk, from, uh, talk about today. All right. Excellent. Yeah. And what we're here to talk about today is how do we communicate the value of the PM and PDM program we have? You know, they, they can be expensive. They can be large. They can be troublesome to administer sometimes if, you know, we have a hard time getting access to the equipment. So how do we know we're getting the value from it? Well, you gotta, you gotta measure it. Right. And so there's, there's many different things to go in into uh, measuring whether or not your PMs are effective. Um, First and foremost is, uh, you know, what's the reliability of the equipment that you're doing PMs on? Um, But that's one way to look at it. Okay. Uh, The second way to look at it is, um, you know, how are we utilizing the resources that we currently have? And so those two, those two things combined make up uh, the value of PM. All right. Excellent. Now, one of the questions I always get is what is considered a PM and what isn't a PM? Yeah, I guess if we don't answer that, we just, we're going to have a bunch of people that are lost. So first and <laughs> foremost, preventive maintenance is, is, is intentional maintenance that we do uh, kind of an offense. So if you think about it, uh, where in, uh, preventive maintenance is offensive and, and breakdown maintenance is, is on the defense. You're letting the asset dictate what it needs versus uh, after the failure versus trying to get in front of it. So those preventive maintenance tasks are scheduled things uh, that don't necessarily always take the asset c- uh, current condition into consideration, but we know we need to do these things, these checks. They're either time-based every three months or so, interval-based every so many hours, or they could be calendar-based. For example, every winter we you know, do cold water layup or we drain our sprinkler system, that sort of thing. 
Um, and those tasks, those things that we do make up um, things like adjustments, cleanings, inspections, calibrations, lubrications, uh, some non-destructive testing. Those are the things that make up uh, the preventative maintenance um, umbrella. All right. You might not like this question, but I'm going to ask anyways. What about those PMs that have something like inspect and replace if necessary? Is that a PM or is that a PM and a corrective? So what that is doing is, and, and I'll just, I'll just call it like it is. That's, that's uh, lazy planning and scheduling. Okay. So what you're saying is I'm not going to take the time to create a job plan for my craft. Um, because again, one thing that they're saying, which is good is I'm inspecting this for a certain condition. And I assume that on some frequency, there's going to be a corrective that has to be done. Many people do these PMs and they think, well, we're never going to find anything. It's just a, it's just an insurance policy to do PMs. Well, the purpose of PM work or PDM work for that matter is to find anomalies. So that's a good thing. The bad thing is we're not taking those steps to mitigate those hazards, to uh, make sure the parts are on hand. And it's an extremely inefficient way to utilize our maintenance resources. I know it's common in the, in the, in the workplace, especially in places that don't have maintenance planners. That's pretty much the only way you can get corrective work done. But for those of us that do have maintenance planners in place, if your PM say plan uh, or inspect and replace, couple things. One, you lose you lose that corrective work order, so you never know if your PMs are effective, which we'll get into later. But um, you know, you're also overextending the utilization of your resources, perhaps, and you're not getting your schedule completed on time. Those PMs are supposed to take one hour now end up taking four hours, or you schedule four hours, it only takes one hour, and you got three hours of stand around time. All right, excellent. I really like how you put that. You know, it's lazy planning and scheduling. There's no way around it. Yeah, we I want mean, to find those things, but we want to correct them in a planned manner. Yeah, it is a separate work activity to correct what you find on a PM. One, and that's something that's huge. You have to do your PMs as an intentional activity and those correctives. And another thing, and this is getting a little bit off topic, but again, what we're doing is we're, we're prioritizing that work above all of the work in our backlog. And that's always not the case. You know, we can find a hose that has a small leak in it or has a wear in it that eventually need to be replaced. There's no need to go do it right now. Put it in the backlog. Let it percolate with the rest of the stuff and, and pump out when it's at a high priority. All right. Yeah, absolutely. If mm -hmm. we, The way you said that, and I think it hit, it's going to hit home for a lot of people, is if we choose to do that now, it's taking precedence over everything in the backlog. It is. And I think that may hit home with some people because that just hit home with me. I never thought of it that way. And, and I'll say this too, James. There are absolutely those moments when I find something on a PM that is, oh my goodness, this has to be addressed right now. That's not planning and scheduling. That then becomes coordination. That's the schedule breakers. Um, and that needs to be handled at the supervisor level. Those things do absolutely happen. But uh, obviously, if you do PMs enough at the right time, at the right frequency, those should be, uh, shouldn't be happening as much. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Now, how do we know if our PM program is effective? Well, this is a big question, right? So the biggest thing is um, you have to, like I said, you have to measure it. And when you're measuring your PM program, there's, 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 depending on who you ask, there's two different answers. Okay. So if I ask my maintenance manager, my maintenance director, my PM effectiveness is I'm identifying potential failures, right? I have good repair practice in those PMs. I'm utilizing my crafts correctly. I'm providing some asset availability to the customer, which is operations. And I'm managing my backlog. You know, I'm not finding too much stuff that I can't get done. And I'm not, you know, just hundred uh, percent building my backlog with full of, full of these massive work orders that, that never get prioritized. 
if you ask an operations department or production supervisor, they care about their uptime. They care about their run rate. They care about maintaining the production schedule. I'm supposed to run 100 units today. I run 100 units. That's what they care about. They don't necessarily care about the PM program being, um, you know, uh, good at finding failures. They may want the PM program to be good at making the machine run and providing capacity. Okay, so we have to be able to communicate that between the two the two organizations. All right. So effectiveness. Mm-hmm. is going to depend on who the audience is. Operations cares about uptime, availability, where maintenance, reliability, they may care about a bunch of different things Yep. to show that it is effective. Yeah. Right. So so maintenance, you know, we have at SMRP, we have metrics and they are very, most of them are very um, maintenance centric. They're not very operation centric. So the big metric we use is called PM yield, right? And basically you take, the amount of corrective work you're finding on PM work uh, from PM work, and you divide that by the total amount of PM work. So if I find, and it's an hour. So if I if I have a hundred hours of corrective work for every, uh, you know, hundred hours of PM work, that's a one to one ratio. All right, um, and that's one way to define that PM yield. Okay, that's that that's from a maintenance standpoint. Operations they don't really tend to care about the amount of corrective work because in all honesty, the amount of corrective work we find is just us going to be asking for more downtime if we have to schedule it. So, but that's, that's one way for us to measure that. All right. Perfect. Now you mentioned PM yield coming from SMRP and there's a few others that they have around determining the value and the effectiveness of the PM program. How do these help us in evaluating if it truly is effective? So first and foremost, if, if we want to communicate out from maintenance, the value of our PM program, because that's what we're trying to do. One of the first things to get cut besides training is the PM programs when we're trying to make sure we're, you know, reducing maintenance costs, right? We're doing PM too much. Those, you know, we need to run more. If, if operational uh, schedules increase, the first thing we, we see most of the time is a reduced opportunity for preventative and corrective maintenance. Now it becomes very reactive and we're running until it breaks and all those sorts of things. So the PM yield, it's very important that we get it to where it's about 30% preventive maintenance to 60% corrective maintenance, relieving 10% of that time uh, in your maintenance time to, to for each craft. So 30% of our maintenance budget time should be preventative, producing 60%. So it should be about a two to one ratio in hours. 10 hours of PM should produce about 20 hours of corrective work, okay? Now, a couple of things have to happen here. One, you've gotta have a work order system in place that allows you to collect that data, right? You have to have closing codes. You have to have um, a, hopefully a work order type in your in your CMMS that allows you to, to uh, capture uh, corrective maintenance from preventative work specifically, not just corrective in general, but corrective work based solely on PM tasks, all right? You have to have um, um, good uh, closing labor codes and labor times on your work orders to say, we just did this work order. It took us 20 hours, okay? Um, that sort of thing. All right. Now, what about if we have, say, we do this 1 p.m. activity? Mm-hmm. Are we looking at that ratio of corrective to preventative on an individual level or at a macro level? No, this is going to be your program level. So your PM yield doesn't look at, uh, for example, uh, I'm, uh, let's look at this filter change out. That's not what PM yield looks at. And thank you for bringing that up. This is this is more of a programmatic look to take. This is how much time we spent this month on a PM to say, how is my program working? Uh, now, not to say you can't then possibly take that to say, what is my, if you have good asset class information to say, hey, I'm going to look at all of my pumps and see what my 
what my PM yield is on my pumps, because you should have a similar, if not the same strategy, right? So uh, you can look at it that way as well. But no, the PM program is for your PM yield to say, we are doing preventative maintenance measures as a program, and this is the impact of it. And that's where that 30, 60, 10 comes from, 30, 60 uh, yeah, in hours. Okay, perfect. So it's at a program level. We're not looking at individual PM work orders. We're Absol- looking at that higher absolutely. level. Right, right, yep. This podcast is brought to you by Iridicio. Be sure to check out iridicio.com for a free copy of their ebook, A Smarter Way of Preventative Maintenance. This ebook will allow you to review your current maintenance program and eliminate the non-value-added work you're doing, which is most likely causing you more downtime than it is preventing. www.iridicio.com I've heard that there is a six to one rule to help us establish frequencies of our PMs or if they're effective, these sorts of things. You heard that rule. Can you elaborate on it? Yeah, that's, that's a, it's interesting. So that, that rule, um, and it's a, it's a statistical, uh, rule that has to do with normally distributed data. Um, and so it's, it's, it's often misunderstood. Some people think that it means this is how often I should set my failure, uh, inspections up. And that's not necessarily false, but I wouldn't say that it's, uh, it's, it's true as well, because if you say six to one, that's how many times I should find a failure in a PM. It depends on so many things. And that's, so if you think about failure distribution data, and if it's normally distributed, you're going to have, um, a bell curve of data. Okay. And at 50% is going to be the mean that six to one comes from three standard deviations from the mean. All right. And so we have uh, one standard deviation is going to be roughly 34% of results on either side of the mean, which will capture 68% of the results. So if we were to inspect at the mean, we would catch the average performers, which would be about 68% of those performers, give or take, on one standard deviation. And that standard deviation has to deal with how wide the sample of data is, not just how tall that bell curve is. So if the sample is very wide, uh, for example, maybe it's over 15 years, that sample, the, six, the first standard of deviation is going to be a couple of years wide, all right? So it becomes very difficult. So we want to get that failure data kind of tall and, 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 and narrow. And we do that with our inspection criteria. What are those tasks that we can do to find that failure for sure? This is where a lot of your condition-based monitoring comes in too, because you can really find that a little bit early. Then that next standard deviation takes it out to about 95% of the, of the sampled criteria, and the one after that takes it out to 99%. So the theory is, that if we're inspecting um, within one of those standard deviations, we should be able to find 99.7% of the failure criteria. When and, and that's great on extremely critical systems. Not critical systems, we don't have to necessarily check that much because the impact of failure isn't that much. Where I like to use a six to one tool is to set up the standard deviation, set up the uh, the frequency of the PMs and show what that is based on the data. But then when it comes to, hey, we want to reduce PMs, you can use this, the, the six to one rule in a graphical representation to say, well, if we do that, then this could happen. These are the failures we could miss, okay? Because we're only going to be looking in this small window. We're only going to be looking at 68.2% of the opportunities to catch it, for example. Or if we look at the mean, we're only going to be able to catch about 50% of it, okay? So that's where the six to one rule comes in. All right, perfect. So, you know, I've heard it explained mentioned many times you gave a great explanation of how we use that to set that inspection interval make sure we're catching the, the most amount of failures possible but like you said if it's not a critical system maybe we can scale that back a bit and so on and so forth but at least well, we're basing it on some sort of data yeah and it's 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 so important to understand too that the six to one rule is not a programmatic thing 
for example, if I'm doing 100 PMs this month, I shouldn't find you know 100 divided by six items this month. It has to do on the task level. So every time I do this PM task, somewhere in there, if I if if I inspect it six times within the statistical failure history uh, range, I should find it every single time, right? I shouldn't miss anything. The the interesting thing though is a lot of times these places uh, that we go to, you know, James, they they look at this and they do use it for setting frequencies, but it's it's they look at it as a macro metric and it's really is a micro metric and even then it's on a specific failure mode on a specific task you know bearing wear on a pump this is what we should be looking for okay excellent i think it's really good that we're distinguishing between those macro level measures and those micro level measures because they get interchanged and they really shouldn't be yeah and and you know something i didn't mention before in the pdm yield example when we're looking at that macro level simply looking at pdm yield um, that's not 100% of the picture either, um, because that says, you know, yes, we're finding work, but is it impacting the availability of my asset? So you also have to understand, I could have a very good PDM yield and a very, very poor asset reliability. Okay. That means I'm inspecting the wrong things or my repair practices aren't very good. For example, you know, we can go into that if you'd like to. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's probably worth talking about for a few minutes is that, you know, whether it's PDM yield, whether it's the six to one ratio that we're looking at, mm-hmm. whether it's PM compliance, you know, yep. individually, they're going to tell us one thing, but they're not going to, com- they're not going to paint the complete picture we're looking at. So right. what yeah. should we be looking at? Multiple ones? Well, so from a programmatic standpoint, and if, I, if I'm a maintenance manager, there's two things I'm going to look at. I'm going to look at uh, the PDM yield or PM yield. You can look at them separately or together. I like them separate um, as programs. Uh, and I also like to look at the reliability of my asset. Now you can look at uptime or downtime, or you can look at availability or mean time between failure, right? Those are the things that you can look at on specific um, specific pieces of equipment to say, all right, I've got high corrective work, but my reliability is low, for example, okay? That could mean that you have poor maintenance repair practices, right? So you have a lot of, a lot of corrective work, but your reliability of your asset is very low. All right, maybe you need a job plan library. Maybe your assets aren't being repaired correctly. Something along those lines could also be that you have just shoddy components and are having to be repaired all the time. All right, the worst is the low reliability, low corrective work. It means the PMs are rarely identified and asset performance is low. A PM corrective, I'm sorry, are rarely identified and asset performance is low. This is just a waste of time. You're inspecting, inspecting, inspecting. You're not finding anything and your asset is still breaking. Um, Another one would be you have high reliability and low corrective work. Um, Typically, you know, that's not awful, but it can mean that PM optimization uh, can extend the inspection interval. You know, get that, maybe your, your six to one isn't exactly where it should be, right? So you can use historical data for that. And then the sweet spot or the better spot actually is high reliability and high corrective work. That's the other, that last quadrant. Uh, it's a good relationship between operation and maintenance, meaning you're getting a lot of work done, okay? That's what the high corrective work tends to, uh, tends to live is in that we have a good scheduling process but the amount of time to inspect and repair the assets in order to preserve the function could be ex- excessive. And this isn't sustainable because if, if operational demand increases, that time's going to go away. So somewhere between high corrective and, uh, and uh, high reliability and high corrective and uh, high, high reliability and low corrective is where you want to live. You don't want too much corrective work. You don't want too little corrective work, but you want to be in that high reliability side. So you got to have that availability, downtime, mean time between failure, however you want to measure your asset performance in your facility, as well as your PM or PDM yield and look at them together and see where they are. So you know what you should do as a corrective action. All right. Perfect. Now, 
I'm assuming to make all, make sure all of these are being measured correctly. There's a piece around PM compliance. We got to make sure we're doing our PMs when we said we were going to do them too, right? Yeah. So you, you know, there's a there's a 10% rule that, I, that that's out there, and basically saying whatever that frequency is, a monthly PM should be done. You know, 10%. So uh, two days on either side, rounded up of the of the of the expected due date. You know, an annual you get roughly you know two and a half weeks on either side. So you want to make sure you're doing your inspections during those frequencies, gives it, giving a little bit of grace period because, you know, things do happen. But you want to make sure, for example, there's some sites I know that do uh, monthly PMs. And as long as they get it done sometime during that month, it's okay. So you can do it on the 30th of the month and the third of the month, and both are still in compliance. And that's absolutely just bananas because you go, you know, roughly 60 days without an inspection interval when you've established the fact that you have a failure rate, right? And so you're going to be messing that up. It helps you yep. stay within that six to one as well. Okay, perfect. Now, if we're doing all this right, how do we link this to operational measures to make sure, you know, that we're building that um, relationship, we're getting the plan downtime, all those other things that we need? So from a high level, you know, one of the things I like to say is PM's not a silver bullet. All right. We need to make sure we have other processes in place to support it. For example, planning and scheduling. Uh, If we have great PM's and we have great, uh, you know, work procedures and it's failure based and We've done failure modes effects analysis. We're, as maintenance managers, we're doing everything we can, but our planning and scheduling program is not supporting that. The corrective workload and our backlog is growing. It's frustrating for everybody. So you have maintenance managers that are, that the supply to that is these, this backlog that continues to grow and operations that says, well, you know, I never, I never get the capacity that I need. And that's because that planning and scheduling piece isn't, isn't working out, right? So you have these structured PM activities that are based on failure PM tasks. All right, those create what we call structured corrective work, and that's how SMRP defines it as structured corrective work. It's work we expect to find on our PMs, and that's that work order type. I'm 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 hoping that the listeners will will if they don't have it already, will go to their CMMS and create that structured corrective work. That feeds that goes into the backlog and feeds our planning and scheduling process, and then through good execution processes, we provide operational capacity. All right. So there is a link between the structured PM activities and operational capacity. We just have to show that link. We have to do that in terms that they understand. Okay, perfect. So once we get all this in place, then we should be able to measure, evaluate, and communicate the effectiveness of our PM program, correct? Yep, and, I, and, it, and it falls on, on, the, on the, in my opinion, it falls to the role of maintenance to communicate that. You know, as main, maintenance people, um, that is one of the, understated roles of maintenance is communicating risk of not doing work. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hard sometimes to say, Hey, we need to do this thing and, 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 and understand that operations is the one that gets to make the decision. So if we don't communicate the risk effectively, or if operations is willing to accept the risk, you know, the work doesn't get done at the most efficient and effective time. Um, and every time that work doesn't get done when it was planned and ske- it could have been scheduled, it becomes more costly becomes, you know, reactive work is more dangerous and more costly to uh, execute than plan and schedule work when the asset is out of commission, um, you know, for that work. All right. Excellent. Now, what is the one thing you think makes the biggest difference in maintenance communicating the value of the PMs to operations? Well, we have to make sure we talk on the terms that, that they, uh, that they find valuable, you know? So we go back to what I said earlier, we have to communicate PM work to uptime, production schedule, those sorts of things, and 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 show them how the PM provides those things instead of takes away from those things. Because it, to operations, all they see is, oh, they're doing another PM, great, I can't run product. But we have to tell them, 
look, when we find these things, this is the time we're saving you. What's the output of that PM? The output of that PM is this belt got replaced to, you know, at the right time instead of snapping, right? So we have to be able to quantify that. Okay. And that's where we can, you know, look at the amount of corrective that's coming out of that. What was, what we're planning. And then, you know, what would that have been if it was a breakdown, not just the plan downtime and maintenance, but also potentially lost product, uh, all the overhead costs of people standing around, all those other things. Yeah. So t- let's say, for example, the downtime avoided, you know, everybody tracks downtime. If you don't track, you know, whatever, anything else, just about every facility tracks downtime. We love to track downtime. So we can actually say that, you know, every corrective work order that was completed, that was based on a failure-based PM task, that structured PM work type, if left to its own devices would schedule itself and create downtime. Do you agree, James? Yes. Yeah. So that downtime is usually two to four times less efficient than planned corrective work. All right. That's an industry standard that they did studies on that said, you know, reactive work is two to four times. And I've seen it as much as six to eight times, but I, I like to be conservative. So two to four times less efficient than planned corrective work. And that efficiency comes out of planning and scheduling, coordinating that job. Right. So an estimate, even a, a super conservative, would be two to one relationship between downtime avoided and PM corrective work time. All right. And that's simple. You just take your PM corrective maintenance hours that you have from that structured work type, multiply it by two, show operations. So this is the downtime you avoided. And we all know it's probably even more than that. So if it took me an hour to, 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 to replace this belt uh, planned and scheduled, you know, you, you calculate that out, multiply that by two and say, well, that would have been two hours of downtime avoided if, if it scheduled itself. And you add that up over a month and you show them and say, this is the capacity we provided. Because again, what we're trying to do is we're trying to show something that never happened. So we have to figure out how to do that. All right. Excellent. I like that recommendation for how to do that, how to quantify that. Now, we've talked a lot about communicating the value, understanding how do we evaluate the effectiveness of the PM program, that sort of thing. What's the one thing you want our listeners to take away from the conversation? So in order to communicate the value of our PM programs, you got to first understand and determine if it's valuable in the first place, right? We have to make sure that they're failure based. As maintenance managers and supervisors and uh, department heads, we need to we need to take a good hard look at our PM program uh, and look and say, okay, where where are we on the six to one? Where are we on PDM yield? Get a good look and get that under under control and communicate that out to operations. Say, look, we're we're looking at our PM program. You know, start that conversation now to say. Our PM program isn't as valuable as we'd like it to be. We acknowledge that, but we're going to make it better. You know, we want to utilize our resources as managers as best we can. We don't want to waste our time. All right. Look at the reliability of the equipment. Look at how you're utilizing your resources. Look at your PMs are failure based in nature and they're looking for things like measurable degradation. Get rid of the emotional PM tasks that, you know, I got called in the middle of the night because this thing was broken down. And the quickest thing to do is to add something to a PM that makes me feel like I got that thing taken care of when in fact you probably didn't address the failure at all. Um, you just were able to point to that thing on the paper to say, hey, guess what, operations director, now I can do this PM and that should go away. Well, in fact, it doesn't. So make sure those are gone. Okay. Uh, secondly, open up the channel to communicate the value of operate to operations, uh, you know, in terms that they that they appreciate. They, like I said, they may not care about maintenance hours. They may not care about anything. They may not care about PM compliance um, or schedule compliance. They care about uptime. They care about, you know, units produced and those sorts of things schedule their schedule compliance so communicate it to them uh, and utilize those hours of 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 corrective time and communicate that to either downtime avoided or units produced per hour or whatever you can all right and the biggest thing make sure you have that that structured work type identified in your cmms that's the first step to getting good data to, to let you do these things in the first place all right perfect 
Well, Rick, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us today about the value of PM. But before we go, where can people find out more about you? Although we're still in COVID times, are you got any events, activities, webinars (laughs) coming up that you want to share? As far Uh, as webinars, I don't know. I know that we're going to be, I'm going to be speaking at least once, maybe twice at the leading reliability event in August in Clearwater. So come on out and register for that event. You can find it on social media. Uh, you can follow Iridicio um, on, on, on social media channels. Uh, you, you know, when James or I do something a lot of really fun, they do a good job of, of promoting that. And obviously just follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, I post, uh, you know, from time to time, some stuff I find valuable. All right. Perfect. Now my one last question, what is your go-to resource on this topic, whether it's developing PMs, evaluating them, all those different things. So, uh, you know, a little bit of a plug here. I, I did uh, write a book with our uh, one of our company partners, Darren uh, Wyckoff, called The uh, Engineer's Guide to Preventive Maintenance. And it goes into how to create those value-added PMs uh, from scratch or to evaluate current or existing PMs. You can find it on Amazon. Uh, for me, um, you know, just in general, maintenance reliability books, uh, Maintenance Reliability Best Practice by Ramesh Galati and... Uh, Making Common Sense, Common Practice by Ron Moore, two of my favorites, especially for those of us that have not yet taken the CMRP exam and want to become CMRPs. All right. Excellent. Well, I appreciate you taking the time today to talk to us about these. It's greatly appreciated, and I'm looking forward to having you back. Yeah, man. A lot of fun, and uh, hope everybody found value in this. I would like to thank you for listening and remind you that you can always find out more on maintenance, reliability, and asset management at www.iridicio.com and by following our blog. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is a proud member of the Reliability.fm network. I'd like to ask you to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. It ensures the podcast stays relevant and is easy to find by like-minded professionals. It is only with your ratings and reviews that the Rooted in Reliability podcast can continue to grow. I thank you for providing this small but critical support. We'll see you next week when we dive into another burning topic with Rooted in Reliability, your plant performance podcast.